Welcome to another anticipation-filled episode of Talk Commerce. I'm your co-host Veronica Costello, and we have an exciting conversation ahead of us today. Joining us, we have Toby Buxhoit, the dynamic co-founder of Parcel Lab, an innovator transforming the landscape of post-sales customer interactions on a global scale. Toby's unique perspective on logistical operations and customer experiences will surely give us some interesting insights. As always, we are joined by our insightful guide, Brent Peterson. Brent's extensive experience within the commerce industry and the Magento community provides a depth of knowledge that adds essential context and understanding to all our discussions. Sit tight as Toby and Brent lead us through an exploration of customer engagement, the significance of returns, and their predictions for e-commerce in 2023. So, let's buckle up and dive into the heart of commerce. Before we jump into our content, let's hear from our sponsors. Great news for the Magento community. Hoofa is now fully supported by Amnesty, the number one Magento extension provider. With a catalog of over 250 Magento products and solutions and a full range of custom development services, Amnesty actively invests in providing compatibility with the Hoofa theme. 33 solution compatibilities have already been released and are available as part of the regular product subscription with no extra charge. And many more new compatibilities are coming. In partnership with Hoofa, Amnesty is focused on providing its clients with high quality extensions, great performance, and a high level of service. Visit Amnesty.com for more details. That's A-M-A-S-T-Y.com. And remember to tell them Talk Commerce sent you. Is your Magento site moving at a snail's pace? Believe it or not, you're in the same boat as 90% of Magento store owners. Let's add a splash of optimism. I recently had a client who revived their site by switching to Hoofa. Their excitement was contagious. Hoofa is more than just a theme. It's like having a secret weapon in your e-commerce arsenal. Picture this, you're crafting an online space that's as vibrant, engaging, and dynamic as your brand. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? That's the Hoofa magic! Performance, top-notch! Usability, smooth as butter! With Hoofa, hitting Google Lighthouse scores of 100 isn't a dream, it's reality! My client and I have been on this exhilarating journey, and I tell you, it's a game-changer! But hey, Hoofa isn't just about turbocharging your performance, it's about putting a personal stamp on your store. The theme is fully customizable. Play around, express yourself, make it truly yours! My client has been having a blast watching their online storefront transform! supercharged by Hufa's powerful features and tools. Ready for transformation? Why not test drive Hufa and feel the difference yourself? Visit hyva.io. That's hyva.io. And when you get there, don't forget to mention that Talk Commerce sent you. Trust me, you're in for a treat. My name is Brent Peterson and I'm your host. Please remember to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. And now, Talk Commerce.
Welcome to this episode of Talk Commerce. Today I have Toby with Parcel Lab. Toby, do us a, give us an introduction. Pronounce your last name. Tell us your day-to-day role and uh, maybe one of your passions in life. Thank you so much, Brent. So starting off with my last name, this is Buxoit. It is a German name, so this is why it might not be too familiar with uh, some of the American folks out there. It's unique here already, so I, I don't expect anyone to being able to pronounce or recall it. But yeah, my, my first name, Toby, is, is way more common. Yes, born in Germany, so that's where I'm from. I, I am based out of Boston. I spent quite a bit of time in the U.S. Right now, I'm, I'm commuting, commuting, I would say, probably every second week between uh, the U.S. And, and Europe. We as a company were, were quite international and global, so we have offices in, in, in London and in Paris and Munich, that's where we're headquartered, actually, where, where our journey started. And then also in, in, in New York. That's my, I would say, frequent flyer program. Other than that, yeah, very happy to be here. Talk a little bit about maybe the entrepreneurial journey that I had, but also what we have built as a product, as a company, what we're doing today. And specifically one topic which we understood is important and pretty hot one at the moment is returns, because that's something where we can help brands and retailers with. And so I'm very happy to share some insights and thoughts around that topic today. That's awesome. Thank you. My first experience with with Munich was I, I gave a talk about Magento. I'm in the Magento community. Mm-hmm. And uh, a couple of weeks before the talk, we had all agreed that we were going to do the relay at the Munich Marathon. This is in 2014. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Excuse me. We signed up too late and it was full. So my wife jokingly said, I'm just going to sign us up for the whole marathon. And this was three weeks before we were going to go. And so she did. And we ended up running it the day before the conference, which I would never, I'd never advise doing three weeks of training for a marathon. We did finish and it was, they always say that the marathon, you can, anybody can do it, but it's how you, what's your training. And then your training is going to be a result of how you feel after anyway. So that's my first experience with with Munich. And we had such a great time. You survived, apparently. (laughs) Maybe not necessarily enjoyed it that much, but at least you made it. So I think that's good. It's a good one. Congress. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Good. So tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe some of your backstory and how you started this. So I, I do come from an entrepreneurial family, I would say. So lots of family members actually have started or run their own business. My parents actually ran a logistics company. So it's a freight forwarding company, moving stuff from A to B. So that's where it all started, I would say, my career. I did a little detour into engineering in Germany. Car manufacturers are big. So I actually studied that and also started working with Porsche and BMW, but wasn't really for me. And so I pivoted back into logistics. Spent couple of years in a supply chain consultancy, actually did quite a lot of work in Canada with BlackBerry back in the days. And based out of that, that's around eight years ago now, spinning out an idea that like on a personal level, I was quite frustrated about ordering stuff online and the friction that you experience. Yeah, so sometimes I don't know, things don't arrive or delayed or you don't really know what's going on. And having a bit of background understanding how these processes work, the data that is available we were just really wondering why, right? Like there, there, there should be ways to make this smoother, so less friction in the process and also make it way more engaging from a con- consumer point of view. And so we started looking into this topic and, and this is how we then ended up founding Parcel Lab. So that's what the company is called and built a product around, I would say while it started in the logistics space, it's now a 
pretty much consumer, customer engagement, customer experience, customer communication tool, because we help brands to control and manage their post-purchase experiences. So this is everything around your sourcing processes, your warehousing processes, your delivery, your returns processes. So whenever you do move physical product against an order, so against a customer expectation, it is important to communicate about this. It's important to involve customers in, in what's happening, to create more certainty and then get rid of all those black boxes that are around. And it's a great way to also engage and, and build relationships with the customers. And eight years down the line, we're, we're now a company about 200 people in size, as I said, like offices. It is in our core markets in North America and in Europe. And working together with many of the biggest brands out there to really help them create these so much better customer experiences than what it was used to before. And yeah, you asked me at the beginning a little bit about returns as well, which is also a, a topic that's becoming, it's not new, but I guess, especially at the, within the current environment where obviously the economic pressure becomes higher, consumer spend is going down. All businesses now look more into how can we run our entire company more efficient? What kind of levers do we have to actually either save cost or just maybe also make more out of the customers that we already have? And for us, this is, this is pretty much down our alley because when you look at the post-purchase landscape or the post-purchase experience, everything that happens after you purchase something, this is more or less the most critical element for every retail brand out there to make customers happy yeah, and to actually make them come back. And I guess we, we all in that space know that acquiring a customer has become so crazy expensive. Yeah. So it's super, super hard to still differentiate on the products that you're selling. It's so hard to differentiate on the price, right? Because you don't want to really win on price. And all these things actually then lead to one of the probably biggest option and potential that you have is to differentiate on experience. So who you are as a brand how you serve your customers, how you deliver on expectations. And this is where customer experience in that post-purchase world is just so important and returns being one puzzle piece of that journey yeah, is just a absolute necessity to nail it if you want a customer to also enjoy the process and ideally come back and buy more stuff afterwards, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think this is such an inter interesting topic nowadays, especially that as soon as somebody purchases something, that opportunity you have to keep that customer engaged with your brand between the purchase point and the delivery point, that before that return could possibly happen, you have an opportunity to engage with them in that time frame in which you're going to ship it, yep. right? And then in in with that, you always have that ability to make sure that the customer's up to date if there's a delivery if there's a delivery delay or anything like that but aside from that just that engagement within that period talk a little bit about that like the purchase to yeah. delivery how are you keeping them yeah. engaged so uh, we, we we don't get tired of saying this is the most critical and most emotional part of the journey because now if you are a brand like your customers actually do expect something from you right they made choice to buy something they they were the money and now, whether it's something that they're desperately waiting for, they're super excited about, or just maybe even scared because if it lates and they get a problem, it is so important to then deliver on this promise as a brand. 
there's this one number that's floating around that I know it's an average number, but it's said that just to compensate for the customer acquisition cost, you have to have people come back three times to make that worth it. So of course it depends what kind of product you're selling and, and, and what segment. So yes, there's going to be extremes to both ends, but I think this makes it so clear that um, if you do succeed in making somebody buying something, um, your engagement shouldn't stop there. Yeah. Because otherwise you'll be spending a lot more money acquiring more and more customers when actually you have to make sure that you're also um, uh, doing everything possible to not churning customers. Yeah. If you have a leaking bucket, then it's going to be very um, hard to drive and build sustainable growth. This part of the journey, very often still pretty much neglected, is an opportunity for you as a retail brand to really monitor very closely what's happening because very often you're not even in control of those processes. Yeah? Uh, let's say you're shipping it out with FedEx. You probably have SLAs in place. You probably get some data about what's happening, but you can't really control whether this is working or not. You want to make damn sure that everything you can do around keeping customers at least informed, at least maybe on your end identifying when something goes wrong, even before your customers know, and then reaching out to them and, and dealing with this situation in a very proactive, friendly, helpful, supportive way. It actually helps you to make customers then happy even when something goes wrong, and it increases your chances so dramatically that they then do come back choose to come back the next time and therefore make the entire process worth it. So it, it is one of the most important elements when you look at the end-to-end -end customer journey. And it is, as I like to point it out quite often, just a huge opportunity to create new customer touch points that can be the beginning of a new customer journey. So we want people to move away from a very linear way of envisioning customer journeys that you find them, they buy something and they're gone and you go find a new one and actually try to envision all these touch points that you have as chances to build trust, to build a relationship, to pull them back into your social channels, to pull them back into your loyalty program, to pull them back into your web shop, um, that this all increases the likelihood that those customers will not just be happy, but also uh, way more likely to purchase again and again and again. Yeah, and I, I would imagine that there's so much added pressure um, from Amazon that is always delivering in one to two days, yeah. uh, and their experience is so well refined that the non the purchasers who's just buying it from directly from a website wants that same experience that they're getting, or at least they want to know that they're going to get their product at a certain time, and that in between time and that expectation. So right now, I think the expectation is that they're going to get whatever they're going to order in two yeah. days. <clears throat> if they're not going to get it in two days, then they'll want to know they're not going to get it in two days. And they should be, they should know that right yeah. away. How much are the bigger players contributing to a better experience for the consumer? Yeah. Let me say that you cannot compete with Amazon on speed or in general, like probably supply chain execution. Yeah, the, the scale that they have, the, the vast amount of inventory they have laying around, probably a lot closer to you than every other retail brand has, is just impossible to beat. Yeah, Of course, there's the big players, I don't know, Walmart, maybe THD, the Home Depot, or brands like this that have a very broad network of inventory and also a very highly efficiently run supply chain. But for the most 
retail brands out there, this is nothing that they will ever be able to compete again. But that's okay. Because if that's the only thing that you're after, that you're just after speed and convenience, then maybe Amazon is the right choice for some items for some customers. But Amazon at the same time is also um, pretty soulless, right? So Amazon doesn't really have a brand. You don't go to Amazon because you like Amazon. You don't go to Amazon because you enjoy the experience, right? You go there because it's easy, it's convenient. So changing or maybe seeing it out of this perspective that even if your own delivery process might take two, three, five days longer. The data that we have is actually showing that customers don't necessarily need to have everything be delivered within one or two days. It's This is not necessary, right? It is expectations that's being formed by Amazon, but to be honest, like most people don't actually need that. So what is important is that people don't get frustrated, that people don't get disappointed along the process. So this is why communicating around customer promises is so much more important in our view. And this starts on the product detail page. You, you communicate a clear date on when you can expect your product to be delivered. This needs to be in the card. This needs to be in every communication you put out there. And when these things change, they do change. Sometimes they're faster, sometimes they're slower. Keeping customers in the loop is just going to ensure that customers will be okay with this taking a little bit longer. I know this was a little detour, but understanding where and how you can win again, Amazon, I think is important. And understanding that you as a retail brand usually have a very unique brand and brand value and look and feel, which is something that sticks with consumers yeah, and might actually want them to engage with you and want them to come back instead of just going to this, this big gray monster that is just fulfilling the basic needs that they have. Yeah, I, I really such a good point that it it is soulless. I'll, I'll, I'm going to use your word there that <laughs> it is a, just a place where you're just gonna you're gonna put your coin in and get your whatever yes. you want, and it, that's it. It's just like a coin operated machine where you're not doing anything. All you're doing is taking on their convenience. Tell us a little bit about those touch mm -hmm. points. Maybe some high, highlighting those touch yep. points, and then we'll move into returns and how that is yep. important. So. I would say general touch points that, that we see frequently being used by retail brands are really around probably those touch points pre-purchase. So when you actually do build a customer promise, so when you do give them an expectation on when they can expect their products to be delivered, yeah, that is where it all starts. And then you're pulling that through. So you usually, I don't know, reiterate this on an order confirmation, a shipping confirmation, and that's pretty standard. But then moving into the delivery process where you're, announcing throughout the way that maybe there was a change or maybe that's going to be delivered tomorrow or today. You want to be very precise in making it as as much as a forecast as possible. So there's a lot of data around. So sometimes you can even go down and predict maybe the hour on when that shipment will be delivered. We work together with a couple logistics carriers that also provide live data. So you can actually visualize it on a map. Yeah, so you see when the truck's coming close or past your house. All this helps to drive this engagement with customers. But then um, to move into the return space, it doesn't end there. So even when it's delivered, when it's successfully delivered, you want to make sure that also a potential way back is as frictionless and as engaging as possible. The first thing you usually have to do to start controlling this is, just like Amazon has showed it, is to digitalize the process. So uh, this usually happens within a front-end solution where you can actually, I don't know, register a return. So you don't want to have a return label in the box already because you can never, as a brand, control what's going to happen with this. 
At the same time, it's going to be the same experience for everybody. Whereas like when you digitalize this experience, so you have it not as a label in the box or not necessarily going through your customer service center, you can start thinking about how can I now make this the less, the most convenient and the most engaging for every single customer. And this is what we think is so key for making returns also on the one hand, something that helps brands to be more efficient, but also create good experiences is to move away from one size fits all. Yeah. Your customers are not the same. So you have customers that are very valuable. So you might have, let's say, a VIP loyal customer where you might be wanting to offering a very different returns experience. So let's say that one is for free. Maybe you get your money refunded by the time you register re the return. So you don't have to worry about anything. It's super smooth and as easy as it can be. But then you might have first-time buyer. You might have a notorious returner, right? That's just like sending stuff back and back. So maybe for these kind of customers, you want to make it cost money. Yeah, You might want to make it more hard to return. Maybe you want to enforce the deadlines with them. Yeah, maybe it's 30 days, right? And no longer. And afterwards, like, you, you do treat those customers differently. And then we do speak about different products. So maybe there's products that you want to have back because it makes sense. Others, you might not. Maybe others you can send either straight to charity. I think that's a great option, right? But also maybe in the future, you can send those products back to maybe a different location. Yeah, It might not even be your own warehouse. It might be, I don't know, a secondary channel. Maybe sometimes it's even the next customer. Right? I don't know. But I think that's still a bit down the line. But I think the key in making returns a success for retailers is to move away from, I have this one returns process that applies for everybody that I'm serving instead of going down to being cost focused on how can I re reduce returns as much as possible while creating the best experiences for the customers that are really valued. Yeah, I, I like that approach because I, I do feel as though it, probably 99% of the retailers out there at the moment have a one size fits all for their entire return yep. process. The the bigger stores definitely have it down. It's easy for Target or Amazon or Walmart to manage returns, but it's harder than for the small merchant to compete against that. And I, I like that idea of even penalizing those who are consistently returning, not penalizing, yep. make it making it more friction. Or more expensive. Because I suppose yep. they're yeah, more expensive. There is a difference between the person who is returning something because it legitimately didn't fit their needs to somebody that just whimsically orders something knowing they could return it at any time. Yeah, right? Absolutely. I'll give you two examples. Two brands that we work with. The first one is Chico's. That's passion. Returns is just part of the game. Because you don't know if this size is going to fit you. So you order two and you have to return one of them. And you expect the returns to be easy and seamless, right? That's how it is. Another customer of ours is Bose. Yeah. For them, a return is a disaster. Yeah. Because you know exactly what those headphones are going to look like. All the specs you've probably seen, I don't know, a hundred different, I don't know, YouTube, I don't know, reviews or whatever it is. Like this is all so transparent. So when they get a return, it's they screwed it up somewhere. So something didn't really go well. So for some brands, again, it's, it's not a one size fits all. You, it has to be more smooth than for others. For both, 
it's probably the most important to build a process around this that they can recover this revenue. So avoid the return in the first place. Maybe it's just a repair. Maybe it's more an exchange than it is in return. And really, sometimes we see it with some customers that we have as well, where they're pulling in customer service people to speak with each and every customer before they, they actually then do get the sign-off and do get the label to, to return the product. So again, depending on what you're selling and how much this needs to be tied into the experience that you want to create, it, it's a total different world. It's returns. It's not a one-size-fits-all. Um, and maybe talk a little bit how this fits into different types or different categories. We have B2B, D2C. Um, is there... Is there services? I'm a big fan of AppSumo, which you can buy single, you can buy applications and they always say 60 day money back yeah. guarantee. I know returns aren't part of that, but that experience and knowing that my purchase is, a, I'm not stuck with whatever I'm yeah. getting. It doesn't really matter which market you're in. And I realize if you're getting a service you delivered that there's no return in it, but there, there is an experience that happens once you purchase it to that, that till you actually use it or don't yeah. use it. Does it matter which market you're in? It, it does because there is a different attitude from buyers, from consumers towards returns, depending on what you buy. So maybe if we go back a couple of years, I think returns or making returns, first of all, possible and making returns for free was probably one of the necessary enablers that e-commerce needed to have. Yeah, Because people were coming from the physical world. They knew usually I... I go into a store, I can touch it, I can see it, I can feel it, I can try it on, then I buy it, and then I go home. The risk of ordering something online where this was not going to be, I don't know, didn't fit, or don't like it, was just so tremendous that obviously there was no other way for e-commerce to, to start that flywheel to get initial traction and adoption without returns, without free returns. Right? So I, I guess we're, we just have been stuck with it, but now... And we made a consumer study last year where we asked consumers how they think about paying for returns. And I don't have the exact numbers in my head, but I think it was around like 50% of consumers said they would be willing to pay for a return, which is a pretty crazy high number considering that more or less like all brands out there still offer this for free. However, now it becomes tricky. If you don't offer it for free, which probably every second consumer would accept, if your competitor still offers it for free, it's a disadvantage, yeah? And if you move away from, again, like uh, considering that the products or customers are different, there's products where, let's say you're ordering a 300 bucks Bose headphone, it's probably okay to pay five bucks for a return, yeah? It is not okay if you're ordering a $15 H&M t-shirt, if you have to pay another five bucks to return it. Yeah, so that's that's a very different scenario as well. What we can say is that no matter where you, if, if you charge for it or not, it is not a decision that you can do by yourself. You have to look around you, your competitive players that, that actually are within that same space offering the same products. And you have to very understand the behavior of your customers in order to do that. It's absolutely possible to charge for this. It's for many customers, it is very understandable that this costs money because I'm sending something back. That's an effort. But it is something where there is not a global answer for this is a yes or a no in any given segment. 
Yeah. Toby, we have a few minutes left here. Tell us a little bit about what it looks like now going into this 2023 year. Is there anything consumers should be top of mind when it when we talk about that post-purchase journey? If you had one piece of advice you could give somebody, what would you say to them? Yeah, I, I would probably really come back to what I said earlier on as well. I think that this transition in the market from being purely focused on customer acquisition to also look more to the post-purchase world of things where you can actually probably with a lot less effort and a lot less money create way more impact by increasing your customer lifetime value. Yeah, So working on retention, on loyalty, and on just making customers happy and, and make them come back is going to be one of the key elements in this economically challenging situation where there's less money available, competition is tougher, um, and every business for itself has to really, I don't want to say move into survival mode. Some have, right? But like just running in a healthy and sustainable way is not going to be possible if you don't have a high customer lifetime value. Right. Otherwise, it's just a race to the bottom. If you're if you're building a business that is focused on scaling and, and growing through customer acquisition. Yeah, so just to recap what I heard is know your journey and make sure you're keying in on your lifetime value. Churn and burn is no longer. It's never been, it's been a great way to do it, but certainly know that the customer, there's a lot of competition, right? And just like free shipping is now the thing, right? People that don't charge or don't give away shipping are getting penalized by people not buying that the, mm-hmm. this post journey is even more important. Uh, so Toby, uh, as we close out, I give every uh, guest an opportunity to do a shameless mm-hmm. plug about anything you'd like. What would you like to plug today? Yeah. Give returns a chance, but they're not all bad. Um, if, if you deal with them in the right way, if you, if you understand how it can work and if, if you make them work for you, it's a great opportunity um, to both save cost and create new engagement and uh, consequently new revenue. Uh, if there's one thing I would like people to take away, then uh, it's really about thinking it from that perspective instead of just being annoyed by it, which I can also totally understand where it's coming from. And how can people get in touch with you? Well, you find us on the internet. So <laughs> I've heard of that. Yeah, you will hopefully you'll find us everywhere on every channel that you know. But I think that the most likely and straight option is go to our website, www.parcellab.com. Shoot us a message if there's anything we can help with. We'd be super excited to to start a conversation. Great. And I will make sure that I put uh, that into the show notes. All right. Thank you so much. Yep. Toby, thanks. Have a great day. I appreciate your time. You today. too. Thank you so much, Brent. Bye. Thank you for making it to the end of this episode of Talk Commerce. Please rate this episode wherever you download your podcasts. We are actively looking for people to participate in the free joke project. Go to talk-commerce.com and sign up for your free spot on the free joke project. If you are a business, I will do a 30-second elevator pitch in the spot to help promote your business. That's talk-commerce.com.